0: Well, good morning, everyone. did want to, before I begin, to uh, just say from a grandparent perspective, which is really the only wise perspective to have, how many of you can say amen? Amen. Great power is growing, Keith. You ever notice how gray Keith is getting? Have you ever noticed him look when he's looking? Comes to the edge. He can't see. He was telling us in staff meeting the other day, my knees are hurting. Wait 21 years from now, then you're going to have more sympathy on me. (laughs) He makes fun of me. (laughs) I'm just sitting and watching and smiling. And thanking God that this is happening to him. (laughs) No. (laughs) Vengeance is mine, right? (laughs) Wanted to say that if you were our parent and you miss this, even if you're not a parent, especially if you're a grandparent, seriously, you need to get the tapes and the material. Because oh yeah, we who are grandparents are no longer raising our children, they're gone. Their parents. But we have to have knowledge and understanding to be able to appropriately relate to them and help them and minister to them and walk with them as they parent. Amen? So let me encourage every old person in the church who has grandchildren to get a set of these tapes and the notes. And especially if you were not here yesterday as a parent, please get these. I believe it was one of the best that we've ever heard. And I don't say that, well, you have to say it because you're on staff. No. I don't have to say this.
1: <clears throat>
0: I regularly don't say things I have to. I usually say things that I shouldn't. But uh, it was wonderful. It's truly wonderful. And uh, the ministry that Keith gave us and Jeff gave us and Matt gave us, you know, to me is a compelling revelation of God's grace. And I once again want to say this, and some of you may not believe this, but they know it's true. And my wife knows it's true. I learn more from them than they will ever learn from me. And they help me much more than I can ever help them. As far as growing in the faith and knowing what to do is right and getting me back on track. Uh, so I want to just, again, publicly thank God for these brothers. Uh, and, of course, Pete, because Pete's just unique in all of this. But thank God for them. Thank you, guys. Thank you all a lot. <clears throat> How many of you ever have heard this or perhaps you've yourself Have said something like this. I just want to get the record straight. I just want to get the record straight. I didn't do what they said I did. I'm not that kind of a person. I have been misrepresented. Have any of you in any way been involved in anything like that? Anybody. That someone has lied about you, misrepresented you. That you've heard stories about what you said or did and who you are and like... That isn't true. I was totally misunderstood. I wasn't even there. And what rises up in us at that moment is that thing from the very depths of us to be self-exonerating. I have to clear my own character. There's something that wells up. Do you remember what happened to you when this kind of an accusation occurred and leveled against you, something came over you, I need to set the record straight. I need to make sure that what was said about me, the way I was represented, is clarified and is corrected. Because my good name is at stake. Where is that Movement, that urging, that deep desire from. Well, of course, a lot of it is the desire just to make sure we look good. But I believe the basis of that, the very core of it, we see in the yearning and in the compelling desire and in the necessity of what God has been speaking to us in Ezekiel 36:22 through 27. You see, God has been severely misrepresented. Oh, there have been some times of clear and correct representation, but overall God has been vilified. God has been made to seem To be someone whom he is not. He's been made to seem to act in ways that it's not his nature, it's not his character. He's been shown to be a God that the nations ridicule and profane and make fun of. And how did this happen? Well, it happened through his people. It happened even through his own people. Can you imagine the people of God's choice and calling and grace and kindness and goodness? Those people through whom God's great name, his character, who he is and how he is, and all that he would do, that God's great character has been so misrepresented in the world that God has to move in absolutely radical ways in order to bring about the truth. You know, and as we think about that and as we go through some of this material this morning, hopefully out of this will come a central Consideration and concern, if necessary. Because let us not just think about them those days, but let us be well aware of us today. Because I think the most critical issue with God. In his people is this, that we, through who we are and how we are as a people, we personally, privately, in our homes, at work, publicly, at play, we intercommunicating and communing with one another, we Experiencing all the vicissitudes of life that come against us. That we, those who were called by the name of almighty and great God himself through Jesus Christ. Are not doing the same thing. That there's hopefully nothing about my life. That is telling the world. This is how God really is, and it's a lie. So let us, as we go through this, be self-examining to make sure that God shows us the areas where we are lying about Him because those areas are called sin. So that we can have the motivation of overcoming sin by the Spirit's power Not because of me and mine, but because of thee and thine. Amen? That's the issue with God. Father, Father, this morning, as we share your passion and your purpose and your Program of clearing your name. Father, touch our hearts. That this won't be just another time of gathering on a Sunday morning and going home and forgetting. Father, would you give us your burden for your name? to be lived in and through us in a way that all the world may rejoice over you because of us, because of who you are and how you are in us as your people. Father, make it so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Remember what We're talking about Ezekiel 36, and we can be turning to there. I see that many of you have already turned to there. The Lord is speaking to his people. And he is saying in verse 26. I'm sorry, in verse 22. Thus saith the Lord to the house of Israel... It is not for your sake, O Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate, I will clear, I will correct, I will set the issue straight. I will vindicate the holiness of my name, which you have profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am Yahweh, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. What is it about God's name? What is this? Well, very, very quickly, when the Bible talks about the name, it's the same thing as us talking about the character and who you are. I mean, I think we already know this. As I already said, if somebody says, hey, look, they have besmirched your name. What does that mean? That they took your name, John or Henry or Linda and made fun of a name? Or is it that they have said something about you and your parentage and the way you act and what you do and have besmirched that? It's a besmirching, a profaning A lie about who you are. And so the name of God, when the word says my name, it is a euphemism for the character and the integrity and the nature. Who God is and how he is. It is a word that collects all that there is of God into that word. And so you remember, in Exodus the Lord sorry, in Genesis, the Lord in 22 of Genesis and other places tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing to all the nations so that in your descendants, all the nations will be blessed. And what is that blessing? So that they may know who I am. And you remember years later, at the base of the mountain of Sinai, The Lord gathers his people after having delivered them out of the house of bondage, out of the house of Egypt. And brings them together and gathers them together. And he says, I am going to make you my holy, peculiar people. My nation who will bear my name to all the nations. And in this nation of Israel, God himself will dwell in their presence. And as they live their lives, and as they obey God's ways and honor him in all that they do, they will be a living demonstration, a living proof that Yahweh is God. And that not only is he God, but that he is great and wonderful ...and worthy to be praised. You see, God, if you would, is using his people to be the bragging place of his name. To eulogize, to bless, means to give praise to. And God is after his name being praised and eulogized and being bragged upon. Why? Because it's right to do so. Because this is truth. Because of who he is. And he is the only being who can be correctly desiring self-praise. But what has happened? Israel's continual disobedience has caused God's name to be blasphemed among the nations. The way Israel lived and what they did. And how they did it, and when they did it, and why they did it. Rather than causing God to be awed and reverenced and praised and feared and understood to be the only God in all the world, Israel over the years, through their continual Continuing disobedience. The name of God was coming lower and lower and lower in the esteem of people. Listen to this testimony of the world should have been. This is what the world should have seen. Remember when Israel came out of Egypt. Remember the great and powerful Ten miracles in eight months. In eight months, God delivers his people through these ten miracles. You remember that? And finally, they get to the Red Sea, and everybody's going to say, Look at their God. He ain't much now. Look at that. And then the sea opens, and everybody's saying, What a God this is. And they get over to the land, and you remember all the things that begin to happen. Now, they go for 40 years, and even in that 40 years of wilderness, these people are experiencing victories, even though there are some defeats. And at the end of the 40-year period, Moses has died, and Joshua now has been anointed by God to be the leader who will take them across the River Jordan. Now, you're in the big city of Jericho, and you see these people coming, and you've heard the story this is the God, that remember, who opened Lake Pontchartrain for his people to walk over on dry ground. Mm-hmm. And now they're at the Mississippi River ready to come over into your backyard, our backyard. These people, don't you remember what God has been doing for 40 years to the enemies and to everyone who opposed him? Do you remember what God has been doing? Well, they can't cross the Mississippi River, I know that. So they get to the Jordan at flood stage. You know, you'd think at least God would wait until the river kind of slowed down. But God wants to be declared as mighty. And so he does things at the worst natural times. Amen? Amen. When you're at the worst place, when things are the worst in our lives, God is ready to strike. Get ready. He's going to open the floodgates. He's going to part the waves. He's going to. Because it honors his name and so the river is flowing fast. You know how the river does in April and May? Remember that? It comes up. Everybody looks at the levees and hopes they hold. And Joshua, the Lord sends out the... High priests and high priests in the front. 2,000 feet back is the ark and they're moving toward this thing. Can you imagine what was in the mind of this high priest as he's getting toward the river? And it's flowing fast and he's kind of getting ready to put his foot in. But you see, he's going to do it because he's going to obey the voice of God. Because his God is God. And he puts his foot in that river and up goes a wall of water. And the river stops. And they cross over on dry ground. Now, you sitting in Jericho and you seeing this the fame of God. And so, this is what this lady, Rahab, says to the two Jewish spies. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Shihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, when we heard what kind of God your God is, our hearts melted And everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. That's the testimony that God desires to bring through us, the church of Jesus Christ today. Amen. But the testimony of the nations became a different testimony for years later. Years later, through the continual disobedience, idolatry, mixing of the nation of Israel with other gods and other people, through their not practicing the Passover and doing things just to do them to try to create merit with God and keeping the law in order to appease their God and get things from Him. Years later, there's a king outside the gates of Jerusalem called Sennacherib. He's the Assyrian king. You remember, he's already destroyed the ten northern tribes and scattered them. And now he's at our gate. And listen to this testimony of the fame of God. This is what Sennacherib, king of Assyria, says. Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of the other lands, including Israel? (laughs) Don't you know what's going on? Were the gods of those nations ever able to deliver their land from my hand? Who of all the gods of these nations that my father's destroyed has been able to save his people from me? How then can your God deliver you from my hand? (laughs) I've seen your God. (laughs) I've seen him. (laughs) He ain't nothing. Now, don't let the king Hezekiah deceive you and mislead you like this. Don't believe him, for no God of any nation or kingdom has ever been able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my fathers. How much less your God deliver you from my hand? You see, God was no longer a wonder, but he was a mockery. How did this happen? Because Israel did not have a heart to obey. I think my greatest concern as a believer is this Is there any area of my life where I am causing God to be a mockery rather than a wonder? So, what happened? God scattered the ten northern tribes, you remember, by the Assyrians. And in 605, Nebuchadnezzar marched in. He took over the southern kingdom of Judah. And then by 856, he destroyed the temple and deported the people into captivity for 70 years. You see, the issue with God is integrity. He must clear his name. Why? Because God is not a man that he should lie. There is no lie in God. And God being truth must always stand and pursue and protect and promote truth. And so you see, God must act. It's not a temper tantrum from an angry God who didn't get his way as the gods of the world. This is the defaming of truth himself. And it's a matter of integrity. So because God must clear his name, he will clear his name. He's going to do as we read in Ezekiel 36, 22 and 23. He's going to vindicate his great name. He's going to clear it. He's going to make sure that everybody knows who we really is. So how is he going to do this? How will God vindicate his name? Well, Ezekiel 36 again Verses 24 to 27. And I will take you from the nations, his people. And I will gather you from all the countries and bring you into your land. Remember, they had been scattered. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness and from all of your idols I will cleanse you, you see. From all the ways that you have defamed me, (laughs) I will clean and forgive and cleanse. And I will give you a... By now, we should know what this is. What? A new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit... Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see, God's going to change us from the inside out. Israel has defamed God because they did not have the inside ability, heart, to do anything else but to disobey God. And so what has God been proving and demonstrating all these years? That the only way a people can in any way truthfully manifest the greatness of God's name is by the Holy Spirit doing it within that people there is utterly no way that we or anyone can to any degree bring any praise to God except the Holy Spirit in us is doing it and we are cooperating with that doing. So God is going to exonerate his name by finally Changing the inside so that from the inside, God is being vindicated so that on the outside, that vindication may be clearly demonstrated. First, the inside renovation so that the exterior, the outside, may see the great changes. But you see, in order to do this, God just can't decide, well, I'm going to do this and so next week, I'm sending my spirit, and I'm going to start putting my spirit within people. You see, because there is a matter of justice and integrity. Remember, we talked about truth. And anyone in here who has been violated in any way knows this. Something should be done to correct it. Someone should pay. Where the law has been broken, someone should be punished. Don't we all have that kind of a thing? When perhaps someone important gets away with some bad deed, we churn on the inside and we become very dissatisfied and angry because we know there's something very wrong about that. And so this is how God does it as you may look at Romans chapter 3. This is how God does what he's going to do. For by the works of the law, remember Israel, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes an olive just sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom Christ Jesus whom god put forward as a propitiation a an atoning sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith so This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, you see, vindicated and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. It looked as if the nation was getting away with something. It looked as if God didn't care. It looked as if God couldn't do anything about it. But God was waiting for the right time. For the right time, God was waiting. And in a man will come all the vindication of God as this one man will in himself take upon himself all the sin of all his people. And carry in himself to the cross all of the sin of all of his people. And in his death, all of that sin will be completely put to death. As far as it's affronting God, as far as it's penalty, as far as it's guilt is concerned. And so you remember the Son of God goes to the cross and willingly and lovingly loving the integrity of the Father so much that He embraces this most awful hour in order that in His death and resurrection, God's people may become the vessel of the declaration of His glory to all the world and to the principalities and powers, to all the angels, that all may know that God is great. Amen? At the highest price. At the highest price. Ezekiel has given this prophecy about the year 517 or so. B.C. Year after year. When? Year after year. Decade after decade. Decade. Century after century. He promised. He promised. God promised Abraham. He promised Moses. He promised through all the prophets. He promised Ezekiel. He promised Malachi. He promised Zephaniah. He promised Daniel. Where is it? Where is it? You see... Perhaps you could write this little phrase down. Time tests trust. Time. I don't think I put all this in your notes. Tests trust. What does that mean? When you need something from God. And the meeting of the need begins to be delayed. You know what I mean? Like when. And you don't know when God is going to meet it. What begins to be tested? What? Can he be trusted? Is he really faithful? Can he and will he do what he said? Did he really say that? Time tests trust. But you see, God has been at work and God is still at work. Even in our circumstances today, as you wait, God is very busy. And he has been quietly and carefully at work getting everything ready to vindicate his name. Now, finally, God is ready to birth the revelation of his vindication in a people, the church. Finally, the day is finally here. In Luke twenty four forty nine and in Acts one eight, you may remember that Jesus after the resurrection is meeting with his disciples, and he promises that they will receive this promise of the Father when they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Says so you're gonna get the promise of the Father. What promise? The promise that God had made to Abraham. The promise that God had made to Moses. The promise that God had made through all the prophets. The promise that God made to Ezekiel. Finally, the promise is here. Finally, the day of God fulfilling His promise, promise in time and in reality is finally here. The day is here. The day has arrived. And Jesus says, you guys wait. Because God is going to clothe you with the Spirit as He promised. And as a result of being clothed with His Spirit, where did Jesus get the understanding that they would be clothed with the Spirit? From Ezekiel. He said, I will pour out My Spirit. I will put My Spirit in you. And Jesus says in Acts 1-8, you shall be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here is the day of the fulfillment of what Ezekiel has been talking about. Finally, we're here. Finally, we're here. And as a result... As Israel was a mockery to God to all the nations, the church will become a praise to God in all the nations. For Jesus says, you're going to take this gospel and you're going to go in Jerusalem where you are. And then you're going to go into Judea. And then you're going into Samaria. You see, we're moving out from an epicenter of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And then from Samaria, you're going into the uttermost parts of the world. Because my name will be declared as great and wonderful to all the nations through you. Through us today. You see, everything Israel was supposed to be, the church will be. May I repeat that? Everything Israel was supposed to be, we will be, but by the Spirit of God. This is what First Peter says in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And he's quoting, you see, from Exodus. He says, but you are a chosen race. Israel was the chosen race of God's glory. You are a royal priesthood. Israel was supposed to be a priestly nation before the world. You are a holy nation. Israel was supposed to be that nation that declared the holiness of God. You are the people of God's own personal possession. Israel was supposed to be that. But through their sin, I was mocked. But now my spirit in you is going to do what they never could do. Why? Why are you going to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession? Why? So that you may proclaim the what excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light so that all the world may know so that all the world may know. That God is great. Well, you know. Now, if Israel failed, what hope is there for the church? Why do we think we're going to not fail at this? What was the difference? Again, the difference is God has done all the work needed for us, if you would, to succeed in the spirit by giving us the Holy Spirit, by giving us a new heart, new desires, new abilities. And by filling us with this. So that in us, as Philippians 2.13 says, God is at work in you by His Spirit. Both to... What? Will and to do of His good pleasure. So because of that, then verse 12 says, Work out your own salvation. In other words, walk in a way that glorifies God. And so... This morning, just in the last few minutes as we close, let's look at a little bit of the book of Acts, because really the book of Acts is God's great record of displaying his name to all the world through the spirit filled and empowered church. Finally, the church, as recorded in the book of Acts, is the time fulfillment of all that God has promised, even from Genesis 1, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Finally, in the book of Acts is recorded the time of God fulfilling in great power and in great wonder that creation purpose way back yonder, way back yonder. And let me do a few things in the beginning here that you don't have in your notes, so you may need to take a few notes if you'd like to. And the first class in the School of the Word will be a survey of the book of Acts. And let us encourage you to come to that if you can at 8:45 come to the class and let's see what God is, how God is being manifested in the book of Acts, how God is being shown to be great and wonderful in the book of Acts, how God is exonerating his name in the book of Acts, how God is working wonderful works in the book of Acts. Let us learn from the book of Acts who God is and how he is. Amen. Because you see the subject of the book of Acts, the subject of John and Mark and Luke and Matthew, the subject of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and so on, all the way to Revelation is God and his greatness. This book is God's book about himself through us. Amen? That's what this is all about. So chapters 1 to 7, you remember what Jesus said? You're going to take my name to Jerusalem. You remember that? Chapters 1 to 7 in Acts, the name of God is being proclaimed in Jerusalem. Then where are we going to go after Jerusalem? Where? Judea and Jerusalem. Samaria chapters 8 to 12 Judea and Samaria and then where we're going after Samaria into the rest of the world so chapters 13 to 28 of Acts the rest of the world and even in the 13 to 28 it breaks down this way the gospel goes into Asia 13 to 15 it goes into Greece 16 to 20 and on to Rome 21 to 28. So that's basically the, if you would, the timeline, the geography line of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. I'm going the wrong way. I forgot where Acts is. Hmm. Well, sometimes I forget. Acts chapter 1. Preparation for the new living temple. I'm going to do something a little different than I had in my notes. I just felt the Lord 6 o'clock this morning changing a few things. I love it. I'm not used to close shaves. Preparation for the new temple. Let's look at verses 1 to 11. Jesus says, wait to receive the Father's promise. Remember that? Verses 1 to 11. They're told to wait for the promise. I'm not going to read those verses right now. They're told to wait for the promise. What promise? You remember what promise we're talking about? How many of you remember where the promise is, at least as we've been going through this? What book? Say it again. Ezekiel. Say it again. Ezekiel 36, 22 to 27. What promise? Wait for the promise. Ezekiel, even in Luke eleven thirteen, 13, Jesus says, if you ask the father for the Holy Spirit, he will give him to you. So the promise of the father is here in Acts one. Preparation for the living temple. Second, wait, second, pray, receive through praying. They are to stay together As a collected group, 120 of them in a particular room called the upper room, the second floor of John Mark's family's house. And they are to pray. They are to wait and they are to pray. Now, immediately you begin to see a significant significant difference between this small nation of 120 people and the nation of Israel. They are told what to do and they do it. They are told what to do, and they do it. And as they remain together in that prayer time, there is a single-minded devotion to God's will. There is a passionate devotion to His will, and there is a persistent devotion to God's will. Let us look at ourselves. Do I have a single-minded devotion to God's purpose, to glorify His name in me? Do I have a passionate devotion to God's will to glorify his name in me? Do I have a persistent devotion to God's will to glorify his name in me? And so here they are. They're doing what the Lord has told them to do. And then we open the pages of Acts 2. Acts 2, the building of the new temple. The stone temple is going to be replaced by a living temple. The stone temple, remember the temple in Jerusalem that was destroyed by Babylonians? Remember, it was rebuilt years later. And even during the day of Jesus, you had the Herod's temple that was destroyed in 70 A.D. This, these great stone monuments where God dwelled among his people and had some display of his glory, even in the midst of their wickedness. Those stone temples now are going to be torn down. Every one of them will be have been destroyed because God is changing the stone temple into a living temple. And what did Ezekiel say? I will take out the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, a living heart. From stone dead to life. From external to internal. From temporary to everlasting. From duty to delight. That's what God is doing. And that's what God has done in us. Interestingly, when you look at the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost had finally been fulfilled or arrived, they were all gathered together in one place. It's interesting the timing of Pentecost. The timing of Pentecost, remember, is three months after Passover. You remember that? 49 days, three months, 50 weeks, and then Pentecost. It's interesting because when you look at Pentecost, Pentecost is the giving of the life of God through the Spirit to the church. It's the new law of the Spirit. Remember Paul talked about the law of the Spirit that principle of life in us. Keith has been talking about that for six weeks. But if you go back to Exodus 19, at Exodus 19, God has assembled his people at the base of the mountain of Sinai, the Mount Horeb. And it's in the third month after Passover when they came out of Egypt. In Exodus God brings them to receive his external law at that point. In Acts, God brings his people together to receive his internal law at the same time, period, at the same celebration in Acts 1. I think it's wonderful, again, how the Lord is showing us from the Old Testament what he's really doing. And so, the timing of Pentecost... Is a wonderful timing here. So the coming of the Holy Spirit, verses 1 to 4. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wind and fire, wind and fire. Where have we seen this before? You see, God, this is not something new. God has been proclaiming this all along. God has been prefiguring this or typifying this all along. You don't have to look at these verses, but if you were to jot down just 1 Chronicles 29, 23, David the king is dying. King David is dying. He wanted to build the house of the Lord, but God said, you cannot build my house because you are a man of shedding of blood. So you can't build my house. But what did David do? David was used by God to get all the materials together for the building of the house. David put everything in order as preparation for the building of the house, but he couldn't do the actual building because he was a man of blood shedding. When Jesus goes to the cross, he does everything necessary to prepare for the building of God's house. And in that first work of God's redemption, it is the shedding of blood that must occur first before the house is built. Amen. So it's not just because David killed a few people. God is saying something about the ministry of his great son. First, the shedding of the blood in preparation for the building of the house. We read that in Romans 20, I'm sorry, in Romans 3. And so notice that in that verse, Solomon is sitting on the throne of the Lord over Israel. Over the throne of the Lord as king in Israel. And he prospered in all, Israel prospered with him. In 1 Kings chapter 7 is recorded the great building of the temple of God by Solomon. And then in 2 Chronicles 6, 1, Solomon prays for the Lord to dedicate the temple with his presence. You remember that great prayer of Solomon. And then comes the day in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. In Acts 2, 1 through 4, it's the same thing that's happening, but in reality. Jesus says, I go to the Father and I will be exalted and sitting at the right hand of God in the highest place where Jesus sits on the throne of God forever as the exalted Solomon himself. And he says, when I do that, I will ask the Father to send you the Holy Spirit. You remember in John 14, he's telling them this. I will ask the Father to send you the Spirit, the Helper. And Solomon prays, Father, God rather, fill this place. Jesus says, I will pray the Father. And I'm on the throne. The blood has been accepted. I'm sitting and ruling and reigning. Matthew 28, 18 tells us this. All authority in heaven and earth has already been given to me. He is the returning king to set up his kingdom. And wait a little while. Wait 50 days because the promise of my Father is coming. Ten days. The promise of my Father is coming. I've asked him and he's going to send the Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, the same kind of thing happened in that house... It happened in the temple years before the glory of God, the wind and the fire and the smoke and the shaking and the tongues of fire all came uh, upon these people and they experienced the presence of God, not just in an external way, but in an eternal, internal, eternal way. You see the connection here, what God had said I will do, he does on that day. So in his people, the glory of God may be fully, fondly, and forever manifested to the world and to the angels and principalities and to Satan himself. Can you say amen to God? Not to the way I speak, but to the message of what God has done. Interesting. Look at the tongues. These are tongues of unity. You remember in Genesis 11, because of the disunity, because of the arrogance of the people, they said, let us build a tower at Babel. Remember that? The Tower of Babel. And God confused the tongues. Those were tongues of disunity. The tongues of disunity, man has been speaking all these years until Pentecost. And finally, we get the tongues of unity, the tongues of bringing people together in Jesus Christ, the gospel. And so what does Peter say to this? The apostle Peter, remember who Peter was. And he stands in the eleven with the eleven lifts up his voice because they said, you guys are drunk. He said, that's not what's going on. He says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ears to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since this is only the third hour. But this is what was promised to uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. It's been prophesied. And we are now today the people of God's personal vindication. We are the only people, the church, who can blaspheme the name of God by saying who He is not through our lives of sin and disobedience. See, the world can't do this. Because the world, you see, the only person who can vilify me to this kind of a way is my own child. My neighbor can say what he wants about me, but, you know, that's a disassociated thing. But when your children begin to act in a way, how many folks begin to look at the mom and them and they say, reflection, we know that. Not a direct one-to-one, but there is that there. And children can bring defaming to a family. We're the only ones who can defame the name of God, but also we're the only ones who can fame the name of God. And ours is to bring fame to the name of the Lord. You see, on that day, Peter talked to all the nations They were all gathered there. Remember, they were all the nations gathered there. There's a list of them. And this pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Listen to these words from Isaiah. Isaiah 44, 3 through 4. For I will pour water on the thirsty land. The spirit, the water of the spirit. It's not in your notes. And streams on a dry ground. And I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. The Lord said to Abraham, I will bless your descendants. And they shall spring up among the grass like willows and like flowering streams. What was the result? When Peter preached, what was the result? Look at chapter, Acts chapter 2 verse 37. What was the result? What happened when Peter, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, began to preach spirit-filled, anointed, powerful words? What happened when Peter's mind and his words and his thoughts were generated and led and empowered by the Holy Spirit? And Peter began to cooperate with those words and with those thoughts and began to speak God's word after God, as it were. What happened? Look at verse 37. What does the word say? And they were what? What does it say? Do you have your Bible in front of you? I can't hear you. They were what? Pierced or cut to the what? The heart. Why the heart? What is this thing about the heart? Why do you believe the Holy Spirit said they were cut to the heart? Because you see, Ezekiel promised to give you a new heart. This is that which has been prophesied and they're cut to the heart and they said, what must we do? And Peter explains to them that they must what? Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It says they will pierce to the heart when they heard this. Do you see that in your word? When they heard this, when they heard what? What did they hear? Look at verse 36. What have they heard? What pierces us? What pierces the world's hard heart? What is the great hammer of God to break the stony hearts? What is it? It's the gospel. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. God has raised him up. And when they heard those words, they were pierced to the heart. And God gave them a new heart. Where's my friend Matt Mason? They were pierced to the heart. And then finally, look at chapter 3 of Acts. What is the result of being pierced to the heart and a new heart? The lame begin to walk. The blind begin to see. The deaf begin to hear. The broken begin to be mended. And God begins to be shown as great and wonderful. And the people begin to be amazed at this God once more. And so look in chapter 3 as Peter and John are walking toward the temple and they see a man who's been lame. And the man says, you got a dime? You got a dime? And Peter stops and he says, look at me. And the man surely thinks, I'm going to get a 20. And Peter says, I ain't got no money on me. Mm. But I had the glory of God in me. I ain't got no money. But I had the filling of the Holy Spirit in me. I don't have any money. But I had the power of resurrection in me. Oh, I don't have any money. But I had the might and the glory and the majesty and the love and the goodness and the forgiveness and the holiness and everything of God stand up and walk and he went walking and leaping and praising God why Because his legs were made strong by the power of God. And when he went walking and leaping and praising God into the temple, all those who had known him as a lame man for all those years began to praise God and to say what great God there is in heaven. So that's why Paul says, Every knee shall bow of things in the heavens and things upon the earth and things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, today we are the demonstration of this great truth. God is great.
1: creation, all creation Christ to you, worshiping in spirit and in truth, glory to the faithful one, Jesus Christ, God's Son. creation gives you praise. Your name alone is Truly Great. You alone are truly great. You alone the glory of your name, the glory of your name, all to you God we bring, all to you God we bring, Jesus teach us, Jesus teach us how to live, Your fire burning in us that all may hear, that all may see. But God is great, and His praise is the earth. Heaven has been in for the glory of your name. The glory of your name. Your name is the Lord. Sing, Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. The whole earth sing. The holer sings. Holy is the Lord. The holer sings. The holer sings. Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. The holer sings to you. The holer sings. God is great. Great. and his praise fills the earth, fills the air, fills the, it's God, it's all in the earth. your God is great, sing his praise, all the earth, all the heavens, cause we're living for the glory of your, this Cause we live for the glory of your name, for the glory of your name.
0: To celebrate communion. Is that all right with you? Let's sit down. Whew, I'm getting too old for this. People say you jump up and down after that back surgery, the